The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel America's number one sports book is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. From self-help books to meditation, we work hard to find peace of mind. Xfinity Home helps you rest easy with a total home security solution. Installed by experts and powered by secure and reliable Xfinity Wi-Fi, you'll get 24-7 professional monitoring with fast response times and real-time alerts, like when doors and windows are opened. Rest easier with Xfinity Home. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash home security. Restrictions apply. Residential customers only. Requires compatible high-speed internet. Professional installation required. All right, it is Film Study with Ken McCusick again. Uh, week 17, the final Ravens game, not only of 2017, but I guess this year's football season as we're not going to get the playoffs this year. Ken McCusick, how are you doing now a day after? Just trying to get over it still, Josh. How about you? Um, yeah, it made uh, it, it kind of ruined New Year's Eve. I'd say that. And uh, it made it not something to uh be excited to hang out with other people for for a new year's eve celebration so uh on the baseball season yeah 
<laughs> we we feel the same way about it. I mean, I, I, I think back to one particular game in Ravens history. It's the loss to the Colts after the Ravens went 13-3 and during the regular season in 2006. And to go into that game and uh, lose it at home was, first of all, it was a three-hour throttling of, of things getting worse and worse and worse progressively. Not like this game where it looked like the Ravens had it after a long comeback and then they and then they blew it again but it was it was very much a a, a long throttling at the hands of the Colts that day and I, I you know I had a chance to meet with some people at work afterwards and I just I could not bring myself to inflict myself upon them after after that game it just would have been horrible yeah um, and we've had tough losses as Raven fans but I don't remember a, uh, a game like this uh, uh, this tough of a loss that was a regular season game that had everything on the line that they were what 97 percent chance of playoffs before this and mm-hmm. uh everything went the wrong way they came into the game soft but you knew all right this is a second half team so you weren't too concerned but man this was a tough loss to to for your offense to have the ball with three minutes or something on the game mm-hmm. and and the, to not be able to stop the clock and then the defense that you, you spent all this money and spent all of your offseason acquisitions, all your focus on the defense, uh, it, it sucks to go a season and be swept by the Steelers and the Bengals. Right. It's it's definitely a, uh, a bummer. They didn't get swept by the Bengals. They shut them out in the first game, so I'll correct you that, but that's all right, okay. All right, fine. They, and the and the it's it does remind me of the Christmas game last year of being just the same kind of miserable finish to it that uh, but boy you wish something could have been different. It, yeah, it was it was it was very frustrating and I would not have. Uh, I know we'll talk about the the future of the team and all. I would not have been surprised if Steve Bashotti made an immediate decision last night with how that game was so uh, just fell apart. Mm-hmm. It kind of, yeah, but it kind of represents the season all in one game. Yeah, a, a lot of that, and we'll get to some individual player reasons for that and whatnot. But I, I agree, there are some microcosms of the season running through this in a lot of different ways. All right, um, before we get all depressed and angry and tear apart this game and some individual things, I mean, the positive thing is we do have some young guys like Humphreys who is who did perform well who is guys we can be hopeful for in the future yeah it's there there are definitely this is a good young defense you know all year long we've kind of talked about that in terms of everybody's really in their second or third year it's not a defense that really has to get broken up um in terms of rebuilding it they've only really got a couple players they need to they need to be concerned over they're probably going to let brandon carr go and they need to make sure that the you know that player is in position to to take his place they have a couple guys with pretty significant injuries going into the offseason that they need to make sure are really ready for camp. Hill uh, comes to mind and Smith in terms of uh, what he can do for the team early in the season. But I do expect those guys to return by the middle of next year and be productive players. So I, I think the Ravens will have a, uh, you know, may devote some of their IR, DTR list next year to the defense. So Urban is the one guy they've got to think about replacing. He's a fourth-year guy. He'll be a free agent. And coming back from a pretty serious Liz Frank injury, so we'll we'll have to see how that works out. Other than him, uh, I, I think the team's in very good shape for next year. Y- yes. Well, yes, on the defensive side. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yes. 
Um, all right, let's get into the game and what went wrong yesterday. Yeah, so I, I tried to think about how I wanted to write this up in the article, and I came up with five individual failures for the defense, this is. We're not even getting into the offense. Uh, ways in which it didn't work out yesterday against the, against the Bengals. And I think you can at least go with the inability to stop the run on the first drive, the inability to convert any of several interception opportunities. And that, that's been a problem the last couple of games now for the Ravens, and so we're going to spend a little bit of time on that. Costly penalties, uh, particularly on the, on the touchdown drives. Uh, there's an inability to convert the pressure opportunities for as much as they had. And a lot of Ravens fans will probably look at this game and say the Ravens didn't get any pressure at all. What are you talking about? I don't really believe that's true. I believe they actually had some success um, uh, generating some pressure. And they certainly rushed numbers, but they didn't convert a lot of their pressure into meaningful results. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And then the final play itself is kind of a microcosm of the Ravens season. Just a, a, a really bad situation, particularly in terms of uh, how the uh, safeties were set up on that play. So anyway, that's uh, that's how we'll talk about it today. Right. And um, let's start. Hey, there's no other place to start but the way the Ravens started the game. Let's start with that opening drive. You got a team coming in with not a whole lot to play for that you can really, if you can hit them hard early, you can really set the tone for the game, and it did not work out. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. The, the Bengals could easily have come out golf clubs over one shoulder and, and you know, in that kind of weather, given up on a game. I thought that a, a later game during the day actually benefited the Ravens in terms of the ability to get the Bengals to give up in this game. But they came out smoking, and as soon as they had that, you know, they they got a taste of blood after that first drive. So right. they, they rushed five times on that drive, 11, 6, 6, 7, and 17 yards uh, as the bulk of that 78-play drive. They also had a 17-yard penalty and I think about 14 yards in passing. So that got them down the, got them down the field there. Um, there's kind of a common thread that goes through this is that they had a lot of trouble getting their linebackers off blocks, whether it was... Mosley or Owasu, they were getting blocked effectively every play by a lineman. They ran some power plays. They also were just effective getting the getting the lineman blocked as well. So, uh, in particular, Williams did not make a contribution on that drive at all. He got double teamed pretty much the entire drive, uh, held off by Bodine on one of the plays. So, you can go to the article, and I'd advise you to do that rather than me go through each one of these individually. Go through, kind of watch them one at a time. Help yourself go through the five stages on this Ravens season uh, with your game pass. Um, two things about this. The 2017 Ravens fans are now the first team in franchise history to allow four yards per carry. They allowed 4.1. And even if you take out that Jacksonville fate punt, they'd still be over four. So um, anyway, that streak is over as, as painful as that is. And it's it's a, a lot to me like the Orioles' streak of having 18 straight winning seasons, uh, you know, as far as a, a consistently dominating run defense that the Ravens had. Right. There's one other thing about it. The, the Bengals ran an unbelievable 52 offensive snaps in the first half. Now, that did include a spike and a kneel. But just to put that in perspective, that's 80% of the typical total for a game. In fact, the Ravens averaged 65.1 opponent snaps per game this year, so 52 is 80% of 65, so that's uh, no way to build a mousetrap, and it obviously, uh, with a lot of the uh, repetition of snaps and whatnot, uh, led to some tiring of players. 
All right, Ken. So, outside of that first drive, there was more things that went wrong. This team has heavily relied on the turnover, and they struggled with that on Sunday. Well, that's right, Josh. I mean, that was obviously a huge problem on Sunday. And there were, as I counted them, six different plays where they could have had an interception and didn't pick one off. And there were probably a couple for the Bengals as well, but they converted one very big one and returned it 90 yards for a, for a touchdown. So I can't uh, wait to talk about that when we do the offense. Yeah, yeah. So we'll talk about that one at that time. But, but the Ravens missed a number of opportunities. A lot of them were related to pressure, that they had pressure in the backfield, or they got a hand on Dalton and he threw a floater, or they got a hand on the football and he threw a floater and they right. couldn't secure it. I've got all the times out there listed on the, on the, on the spreadsheet, but, but just to, to remind you of a few of them, we had a little pass over the middle to Bernard that he tipped. Uh, cold hands. We're talking about Mosley did not yep. was not able to pull. Uh, pull he was in. close, not quite. Yeah, didn't get it done. We had a couple couple plays where pressure and they had a hand on Dalton and he threw a floater. One of the sideline that Kennedy got a hand on. Another one that just fell among three Ravens over by that right sideline. So uh, that was a shame, both cases. And of course, the big one. Weddle had his interception that would have stopped the last drive. They had three on the last drive, by the way. But Weddle had the interception that would have stopped the last drive, and it was negated by Humphrey's defensive holding. So uh, a bad set of missed opportunities there for this game, that's for sure. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know which one stings more. I guess it's the Weddle one that really stings because we saw him catch it. We, we assumed the game was wrapped up, and yeah. it all comes back. Yeah, well, there's that, and and on that play, they almost had a sack from Zadarius Smith. He right. spun Dalton 360 degrees in the pocket. First of all, it was a third and five play, so the worst, you'd hope, he gets sacked and it's third and close to 15, and that would have been good, you know, fourth, you know, right. I'm sorry, fourth and close to 15, or, uh, you know, the other possibility is that that the interception occurs. But from looking at the replay, it looked as if Humphrey tackled. LaFell so early in that play, and he really did just take him down, um, that, that it really was going to be called no matter what. Even if the sack had gone off, we would have just been disappointed by the holding call. On the when, back when you were watching the uh, the other camera angles and all, so was it a straight tackle? To me on the replay, it looked like maybe he, he fell and, and Humphrey fell over him. Uh, I, I would love for that to be the case. But it was but a straight was, tackle? There was contact beyond 10 okay. yards. It looked, it looked pretty bad to me, too. And, you know, looking back at the season now as a whole and the way these two games have gone in particular, they missed four good opportunities against the Colts. They missed good opportunities, three of them against the Steelers. So going 0 for 13 in those three games, even though they did manage to win against the Colts, uh, it kind of puts a black mark on a season where they had a remarkable you know, they led the league in interceptions with 22, Jacksonville at 21, and they led the league in percentage of passes defensed converted into interceptions, which is 26.5%. And Jacksonville ended up being close to them at 25.9. But you really have to, I, I'm not going to be able to think about those stats and really remember anything else but the failure in, in the two games in Pittsburgh and Cincinnati uh, here yesterday as far as uh, you know, what could have been for those statistics. So good year for interceptions for the Ravens, but it's always going to be tainted for me. Right. And yeah. And for a team that shut out, what what they get three shutouts this year yep. and defense have played well, it seemed like whenever they really had a challenge, the defense couldn't step up and do it. And it, they had to rely on the offense, even the, even to beat the Colts. It felt like the offense needed to win that game rather than the defense put it away. 
You know, the offense did some good things in the Colts game, but I give the defense credit for keeping the Colts out of the end zone on those last two drives. And they did only last 16 points. I think you got to really give that one more to the defense than to the offense in that game. Okay. But uh, but but anyway, you're you're right. I mean, you know, it, it has felt at times like if you give the ball to the opponent with them having a chance to drive the field, you you have a good chance to lose the game. And you know, you should never you should never really feel like that, particularly if you're pinning back the opponent fairly deeply, like they did on this last Bengals drive yesterday. Right. Right. Um. So. I guess what what do you think was the bigger the bigger issue the uh, not being able to get the ball with the interceptions or the stupid penalties like Humphreys that really cost them? Oh, uh, those pe- penalties are all very costly. I, you know, there's there's three of them. They, the Bengals only had five accepted penalties in the game. They had a couple others they declined. Uh, you know, offensive right. pass interference on Boyle got declined, for example. I can't remember all the others, but but they had five penalties for about fifty five or sixty yards in the game. But three of them were just killers on that first drive they had a 17 yard dpi first of all it was on second and 10 i believe that occurred and it set the rate of the bengals up at the one yard line so it was a it was a bad penalty that got them set up for a fairly easy score and they actually got it through the air but uh but they they had a good running drive and they and they set themselves up with with uh with that pass interference on green in the end zone right and then uh there were two others the with two minutes left in the game, and this is a penalty that's going to get overlooked because of Humphrey's defensive hold, but it did not look to me like Dalton was in any position to complete that pass to LaFell by the right sideline, but Carr interfered with him there, and that gave the Bengals a fresh set of downs again, and uh, and that was a darn shame. That got him out of, out of jail on, uh, forget what the down and distance was there. It might have been second and ten on that. Um, when that when that flag was thrown, so not a good penalty there. And of course, the Humphrey tackle of LaFell, it could have negated a sack, it did negate an interception, but either way, it turned the game around. And uh, it, it's just a shame. Humphrey had a good game; otherwise, he really was part of the reason they shut down Green in this game. And uh, you know, we're, we're going to remember some bad things about Humphrey here when he really had a great game and a great season. Right. Um, all right. We got to talk about the final play and that final drive. Um, but let's first talk about the pass rush in general in this game. Yeah. And the, the pressure they were putting on Dalton. Okay, so let's, let's make sure we, we, we address this as better can. If I'm missing something, make sure you, you, you catch me from the notes here, Josh. So um, I think that uh, the fans wanted a couple of things from Dean Pease in this game. They wanted them, him, him to take A.J. Green out of the game, and they did that. They, right. A.J. Green He's had two quiet. catches. Two catches, 17 yards. He did get that DPI on Carr, but basically they shut him down. They, and they committed resources to doing that. And the other thing was, I think Ravens fans have been complaining all season about the amount of pressure that Pease has been willing to apply. Well, he really pulled out all the stops in terms of numbers in this game, and it really showed up very positively. The, the, the Ravens, uh, if you look at how, how they did against numbers, they had six plays with six or more players rushing and they only gave up seven yards on those plays so 1.2 yards per play they had 11 plays where they rushed five and they only gave up 4.3 yards per play on that and they had 26 plays where they rushed four and they they only gave up 5.3 on that all of those they're winning numbers 4.8 yards per pass you should win a game you only give up 4.8 yards per pass but there was a hidden problem there and that was say it with me 
at one sack and no turnovers in this right. game. Yeah. Yeah, and and all right, the one sack by Judon was great. Um, it seemed like they got in there a few times that they were going to get close, but didn't get it. You you mentioned that it worked well when we were bringing six men in, and and that was forcing Dalton, that was helping the team. Then what happened with this final play where suddenly we went into, I guess, some type of prevent style? Yeah, what, I, I want to I come back in a minute because there's a little All bit right. more about the pass rush right. we should talk about sure. here for first. So, you know, one of the, we, we have the measure we talk about, ample time and space, to show how often a, a quarterback is really facing pressure or not right. facing pressure. And Dalton had ATS on just 15 of 44 dropbacks. That's 34%. And that's definitely a level at which you, you can expect to win a football game. And, and the Ravens really, in terms of yards per play, that, that really worked out that way, yards per pass attempt anyway, it really worked out that way, that they had a, a, a winning total. Um, they just did not have enough variation plays. They didn't, they didn't force enough holding calls on pass plays, and they did not have any turnovers to show for all their efforts, which we talked about already. And they only had one sack, and in fact only had one quarterback hit to show for all their efforts on 44 dropbacks. So they had one other that was an, a spike. That doesn't count, but uh, but that's the that's the basic problem here. Pease tried some things in terms of deception. They had four deceptive pass rushes, which is not a lot for one game, but it's not nothing either. They had 10 individual blitzes from off the line of scrimmage, so an attempt was made to add deceptive elements in that way. They had four stunts, and two of them led to big pressures, including the sack by Judon. They're beautiful stunts where Henry drew two or even three men to block him, and Judon had a very clean A-gap to rush through. So that was, it was great in both cases. And then, uh, you know, they had two guys drop from the line of scrimmage a lot because Pease has, in recent weeks, liked to show a six-man front and drop two guys out of that, which I think has been generally very effective. Um, and it was not bad against, against Dalton in this game. They certainly rushed six out of it some, so it was a legitimate threat. It wasn't just hey, we're going to show you six, and then you know we're going to drop right. two. Right. So what you're setting up there is a decent game plan going into this. Yeah, you know, I, I thought it really was, and I thought that, that Pease, you know, I'll, there's been a lot of vitriol about Pease after this game, but even before this game, about when he announced his retirement and, and people, you know, are so happy to be rid of him and all that. I mean, just, oh. it, it's ridiculous. It really is. I mean, it, it, the, the Ravens' structural issues with this defense are still not – infinitesimal. They have a bad second inside linebacker who's hurting the team. Mosley had an injury-filled season and had a lot of troubles. They lost their other guy who can rush from the inside, Brent Urban, and that's really hurt the team down the stretch in terms of their depth in, on the defensive line. And you're, um, you're not even ahead. getting yet to Tavon Young no, and I mean, Tav- uh, Zach Orr. Yeah, the loss of Zach Orr. The, the, I mean, it did seem like they got a new cornerback whenever they needed one this year, which is nice. But they also had a lot of play out of Lardarius Webb, and, and Webb had a subpar year. So I, I think he's probably done with the Ravens. But they had a lot of structural weakness that they had to deal with on this defense. And I thought Pease did a very good job of it. He embraced the dime this year. It was out of necessity. I wish he'd done it earlier, but, but he embraced it this year and got terrific results out of Levine and now out of Clark in this, in this final game in the last few. Uh, it looked like Levine maybe got hurt in this game because he only played four snaps and wasn't playing special teams at the end. So kind of hobbled off at one point. I hope he doesn't have an Achilles or some injury that's going to linger into next season. Right. Um, and we'll we'll talk about after Dean Pease, where we go and all that. We'll get to that eventually. Um, but you're right. People have a total short memory 
as NDP is announcing his retirement and everyone's glad to see him go and forgetting all that he's given to this team. Yeah, I mean, this and this was his best year as a coordinator. I'm I'm convinced of that. I liked him in 2014. He had a great pass rush team, and they did a great job of support, supporting the back end with the pass rush. But he did that with a lot of assets that were brought in, uh, with Doomerville in particular, but also with with McPhee still there, uh, providing that incredible inside pass rush. Just that team had, in some ways, more to work with uh, than what this team had, and uh, and I like. I, I like what he did with this team. He certainly can't argue with the shutout uh, results. He didn't lose a lot of leads this year, and that's hard to say after coming off the lost lead yesterday. But uh, but he didn't lose a lot of leads this year in right. general, and uh, and that was a positive uh, situation. So anyway, I, the Ravens could quite possibly do worse than Dean Pease with their next defensive coordinator, so we'll see. Um, but uh, you know, anyway, I think he's been a good D.C., and, and the next one... I hope we'll we'll bring something new to the table that improves this defense in a significant way. But you're right, Josh. We'll talk about that on another show. Right. And, uh, Plus, uh, and, you, you were just happy this year because they used the dime, and you're a dime guy. I am a dime guy, and the, and the dime was tremendously effective this year. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at at uh, at what they did with the dime this year, it was uh, it was where most of the sacks and turnovers came, which is not too surprising because that's on third down. But they also were just much more successful playing dime to the tune of uh, under five yards per play with uh, uh, six defensive backs on the field. Right. Um, you ready to break down this final play? Yeah, so we can do that. And we have to, you know, we have to do it, and we didn't want right. it. So we had 59 minutes of frustration back and forth of the offense doing nothing in the first half, of the defense and offense playing very well together in the second half to get the Ravens back in the game with a, a number of successful drives and stops and whatnot. And, you know, Despite the interception that uh, was not Flacco's fault, it was really tipped around by Young in the air in a way where he was just kind of dribbling it almost for the defensive back to take it away from him uh, and then go 90 by, yards by, the other way. By Chris Moore. Yeah, by right, Moore. Right, Moore. Yeah, and it, yeah, it wasn't even a good defensive play as much as it was Chris Moore not holding on to the ball. That's right. Not pulling it in. Yeah, or, or or even knocking it down. Either one of those. <laughs> right. But, but the Ravens had their way offensively with the with the Bengals in the second half. The Bengals only ran five plays offensively in the third quarter after they ran fifty two in the first half. That's great. So that's pretty that's pretty amazing. Well, yeah, and that's where it got exciting, and we came back and we we took the lead over and. Yeah, you know what? That's something I I, I may forget to mention this on the offensive show, but let me just say this. As a fan and when I'm at the game, when the, when the Ravens are on defense, my immediate thought is, what personnel do they have on the field? How are they defending this guy? Who's going to get double covered? What's going on? I, I'm, I'm very much analytically in the moment when we watch football on defense. And, and that's true to a lesser extent on offense. I love to watch the offensive line play. I like to watch where the blitz is coming from. But there was a time during that second half where I was just thrilled to see what's the next offensive play going to be. It's like opening a Christmas present almost. And Marty Morningweg, he, he's had some variation in play calling that I've really enjoyed. And a lot of what the Ravens did was kind of deceptive, even in terms of the formation yesterday. And I just found myself, you know, 12 years old again, watching the football game and enjoying it from that perspective and liking it a lot in that second half when they were so effective throwing the ball 10 yards or running the ball for 7 or 10 yards. And, uh, and getting things done. That fourth and three play where they reversed the field took me back to a similar play from Curtis Dickey right. many years ago. So I'm just, it was exciting to watch that second half, half of offensive football. Plus, plus, you've got to always play the fun game of who are we putting on the field? Yeah. As, as we went down to two wide receivers to end the game with. 
Yeah, boy, was that difficult. So I guess they had Woodhead, and they could put him as a receiver, and they had some tight ends that they could use in that formation, although they need him to block. <laughs> right. But, uh, they did not have a lot of offensive linemen, a lot of offensive skill position players left at the end of that game. Right. So, but back on the defense, we've got a whole episode. We'll get to break down the yeah. offense um, and talk about how Joe finished out the game because that is its own issue. But let's talk about the defense. They, the Bengals get the ball back. Uh, they got this fourth and twelve play with fifty three seconds left in the game. Right. So they're at the, they're at the forty nine yard line. It's too far for a field goal. It would have been a sixty six yard opportunity. They they have a kicker they like, but that would that would have not worked out. Um, so a couple of things bothered me even before the snap here, and the first was Jefferson dropped to be the, to be the single high safety. Now we've yeah. talked a little bit about not trying to use Jefferson on the back end all the year. We'll get back to this a little bit later. But him dropping a single high, I'm thinking, what the hell is going on? Weddle was about three yards behind the line of scrimmage. So to to set the scene here, the Ravens lined up six across to show the double-A gap blitz look. Okay, so double-A is a general term I use to say that they're showing six across. uh, And and it's often used to to say that your inside linebackers crawl up and are are crowding each side of the A gap. But it's used more broadly now to just any six across look uh, at the line of scrimmage is is you're showing the double-A blitz. So anyway, they had Clark and Mosley right up at the line of scrimmage. And they had behind that three yards, they had Weddle roaming around. Now, Weddle did tap somebody on the butt and said something. It was Clark. And I, you know, I understand the need to communicate with that player, but Weddle is the team's best back-end player, and he's got to be back guarding the sticks in that situation. And so he started to skip backwards before the ball was snapped and was approximately 9 or 10 yards back off the line of scrimmage as the ball was snapped. That's not deep enough. Especially if you're going into this prevent plan that, that, that you just got to keep the ball out of the end zone. Well, you got you got, and you got to keep the ball. You got to basically defend the sticks. That was one play for right. the game right there. They got they need to defend the sticks, but ten yards is not deep enough. Still, they're, they're not going to be able to defend the sticks from that. And there was no one to play safety on the side of the field where there were two receivers. So that's where Boyd and LaFell were. Green was on the other side, and they they moved Jefferson over and Humphrey and Jefferson doubled Green. Great use of resources. I completely concur with that usage. However, not getting Weddle back into position screwed up Kennedy on the play because Kennedy felt like he had to be the deepest player and stay behind Boyd on that play. And that meant he was soft about four yards behind him. And not only did he, did he allow the reception, but then Boyd ran by him for the touchdown after the catch. So the, the problem was really where Weddle was positioned on that. They dropped Clark and Mosley from the line of scrimmage. No problem. You want to play that game. They had two eligible receivers that were starting uh, originally in the backfield, and then they were just lined up as a tight end. And I don't know even what to call him because he's like a, y- a yard behind the lineman. That was where Bernard was. So Mosley and Clark were in a position to cover both Bernard and the tight end Croft coming out of the backfield. So no problem. They weren't improperly positioned. It all comes down to Weddle. And why the hell wasn't he on the back end? So I don't know whether that was an individual decision by him or whether he was instructed to move up there and then drop back as part of the scheme for the play. I really don't know. But he was out of position, in, in my opinion. I cannot come up with any logical reason why it makes sense. Right. That was my question for you. If there was some type of deception going on and Weddle was just too slow to get back in position or, or what was going on? Well, it's, it's pretty poor deception because whatever you give away a couple of seconds before the snap – whether or not they can change a play on it, and they probably couldn't, 
the quarterback can still take that into account and figure out, ah, we got man coverage on this guy, or oh, he's defending this zone, you know, whatever it might right. be. So you're giving it away if you if you if you show that far ahead of the snap. Okay. So anyway, he it, it was it was something I just I cannot come up with any reason. And when I think about this season, look back to when the Ravens were four and five. One of their our big complaints about it, and and I think for all Ravens fans, was that. Jefferson was not playing well on the back end and was blowing a lot of coverages yeah. there. Yeah, they were throwing and the went, ball over us. They were throwing the ball over us and really taking advantage of Jefferson in a lot of the games we lost early in the season, particularly Jacksonville and Pittsburgh. I, I had I remember him being out of position a couple of times. But anyway, the, the other the other problem was that Weddle was being out muscled near the line of scrimmage. Remember the fifty eight yard overtime run by Howard in the Pittsburgh game, there's some video of Weddle just getting creamed near the line of scrimmage by either lineman in some cases, but on one case by a wide receiver, I think it's Juju, but I could you can't even see it because mm-hmm. he flashes through the screen so quickly and wipes Weddle out. So that wasn't the place for him. Weddle was needed on the back end and, and Pease did a very good job the rest of the season making sure that those roles were more defined, that he had Weddle up close to the line of scrimmage less often, and that he had more of Weddle's specialty being his and, and Jefferson's specialty being helping with run defense and, and making use of him. And I, just to have this fall apart on the last play of the season and not having the guys where they need to be, I don't know who's responsible, but it, but, I'm, but I'm upset by the play. Yeah, and it's not the way for uh, – it's a horrible play call to end the, your season on, to end DP's career on. That's right. Um it was just a very disappointing way, and even hard for us Raven fans to process as we saw it happen. Right, and I, I, a lot of people won't get technically into into how he was so far out of position on that play. I mean, they won't. I, I did see one tweet about it that that the guy was right on the money, and and you know he said you know it was something like, "Don't we have to be as deep as the deepest or as wide as the widest?" Kind of thing. That was Billick's right. old way of saying the thing, and he's right on the money. I mean, you know, Weddle was just. He was the problem on that play, and and it messed up everything on the back end. Kennedy then had to had to adjust, and it just it's upsetting. I I don't think that I, my guess is that it was an individual decision by Weddle on that play, and I wouldn't be surprised if we hear at some point this off season what happened on this on that particular play and what went wrong. Right, because it's not it's not up. something that the that the game reporters were going to ask after the game. Hey, Weddle, what, what were you doing? Yeah, it's it's not even something to necessarily catch in in uh, gotcha. you know in real time. So it's what it is what it is. Um, all right, let's look at. I guess that's kind of an individual look at Weddle. Let's look at some mm-hmm. other guys. Uh, Brandon Williams, he when he came back from injury, he made a big impact on the team in stopping the run game. The past couple of weeks, that hasn't worked, and it didn't work again yesterday. Uh, what's going on with Brandon Williams? Yeah, particularly on that first drive, he had he had just a really bad drive where he was getting pushed around by double teams. Um, there's something called a combination block, which I want to explain because we use this terminology on the show fairly regularly, but I want to explain what it is. But a combination block basically has two linemen, usually the center and a guard, or most commonly the center and a guard will each block the same player, and it's usually one of the large interior players since it's, hey, it's a center and a guard doing the blocking. So a center and a guard block Brandon Williams, and then one guy has him pinned, okay, for the other, and oftentimes that means he's, he's, he's a little bit off balance or he's on one foot or he's, he's, he's got a back pedal going, and then the other player, the other the guard or the center, whichever one is the appropriate one, can then continue that block and maintain it while the other one peels off and combinations 
to a player in level two, most often a linebacker. And there was just too much of that on that first drive. Williams mm -hmm. has to do a better job of holding the point of attack, even against a double team, and, and trying to maintain his space on the field. He and, he and Pierce are both good at it in, in general, but in this game, Brandon Williams was playing hurt. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. He's got some sort of a back injury he came into the game with and missed some practice time for last week, or was limited, I should say, in practice for last week. So I'm not sure exactly what might have been wrong on those plays, but the Bengals certainly took over the momentum right on that first drive with a uh, with a very good set of run plays. Uh, it seemed like it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about Peanut and him fighting to get some playing time. He got some playing time. What is, how do he do, and what does it mean for the future of Peanut with the Ravens? Well, I think that he's been more effective than Correa in terms of throwing his body around and trying to do things in in level two. He's probably more undersized for the position. Uh, you know, those are not the only two options, obviously. And I think that what the Ravens really need to do is pick up an inside linebacker as a draft pick. Uh, maybe uh, Owasso and he share the time next year, or maybe the new guy is the guy right away. But, but they, they need to invest in a draft pick at some level to shore up the inside linebacker situation. At the very least, they've got to make some sort of acquisition so that if Mosley is lost for any period of time, they have a reasonable uh, player to to substitute with. So uh, I would not mind an extra two-down thumper, uh, certainly as the, as the second linebacker. I don't think that would be a bad idea. Um, uh, they've got the dime that they want, I think, in Levine, or, or perhaps it's Clark next year who will be the primary dime. Uh, so I think they've, they've got ways to get back the lineback by the linebacking situation otherwise. But Owasso had a bad game in this one. He got pushed around a lot, and, uh, and it hurt. Yeah. Um, how about Brandon Carr? What, what did you think of his play this, today, yesterday? You know, it, it was mixed. It, he, he, he definitely had some good plays on the football. Uh, I wish he had, had gotten the pick six. Uh, where he the ball was thrown to Green and he stepped right in front of him. It was a great instinct play. Just did not convert the hands play into the pick six as it could have been done. But it was it was nice. He prevented a touchdown probably with by making that play. Uh, certainly, once he decided to gamble, he prevented the touchdown by making the play. Uh, he did some other things that were good in terms of of uh, getting a couple other PDs, but he also had a couple of very key penalties. So I think that he's going to be a cornerback who has limitations. Didn't do poorly for the Ravens this year. I mean, four picks and and his general level of production, you can't expect a lot more than that at a corner. So I'm not I'm not too concerned about about his level of play in general and that he let the team down. But uh, I think the Ravens need to try and go probably with younger boundary corners, which means that they're going to want to give Kennedy time on the outside, and they're going to obviously going to want to stay with Humphrey. Jimmy Smith is with the team next year, no matter what. He's he's got a thirteen million dollar cap hit, I think thirteen and a half. As long so as he'll... as long as he doesn't take performance enhancing. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I, I mean, mean. I'm glad to get that suspension out of the way this year. Yes. But, uh, yeah, it's a big deal. Um, um, go ahead. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's tough to ask you about any player without starting to look to the future, and um, this is our. I looked at. I, glanced for some mailbag questions and all the mailbag questions are about the future we, we're done with this game everyone wants to talk about the future which is a great way that we can talk about the future of the film study uh, podcast and uh, what, what we've got coming up because we've got one more show this week about the offense and then there's no more games to talk about as far as the Ravens so you want to share what we're doing this offseason 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that this is a great opportunity, Josh. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, a, some player analysis review and exactly how we're going to structure that. And we haven't decided exactly what, but I've, in the in the past, I've usually written one article about the offensive line in aggregate and talk about each individual play and what they did well and how they need to improve and this and that. So I, I think there will be one of those this year and perhaps one for each position group. Um, and, and whether we break that up into into uh, one show or two shows or four shows, well, Josh and I'll have to figure out about what's the way to do it. One thing I do want to do is do another high-level roster evaluation. So we've had these things we've done during the season where we look up on the bye week, for example, at how these players rank among those five categories that we have, you know, a young star who's still right. in his first contract, et cetera, et cetera. But the off-season's also where we need to get the money involved and what these guys are making. Yeah, there you go. So I, I, I'm hoping we can get Brian McFarlane on the show for that. Uh, excellent cap guru from Russell Street Report and definitely somebody we want to include in that kind of a discussion. Brian, everybody, you know, people sometimes will put down what a person doesn't know. But, but Brian McFarlane knows a lot about football in addition to knowing a lot about the cap. And, and, and we know a little bit about football to go – I'm sorry, a little bit about the cap to go along with a lot about football. Right. And so, you know, it'll be very, it'll be very good to get Brian on the show. He's a, he's a great guy to talk football with. Uh, I think we'll, we'll want to talk about new acquisitions as they come in. So yeah. if, if the Ravens have a significant one, we'll do a, probably do like, a mini-pod on like, that. Like, a, like at least a new defensive coach? Uh, we would do. I think we, we can do one for that. We're gonna. We know at least we're gonna be acquiring a new defensive coach. There you go. So there, there definitely will have to be a decision made. Let's just talk about that briefly about the about the defensive coordinator. Okay, Peters great. retiring. So I mean, the one I I, I put out asked for knee jerk reactions on Russell Street about that, and I can't put out knee jerk reactions on Pease, and it doesn't even matter to put out knee jerk reactions on Pease's performance beyond what I've already said on this episode. So there's not there's not. Anything more? I think he had his best year. I think that you know anything more than that is just uh, you know you're nitpicking about it. he's gone anyway, so why bother? Uh, but he didn't let a lot of leads get away this year. So, all right. My view is all towards how right. do they address this in then, terms of hiring? All right. Then my question for you is: when you draft all these defensive guys and they don't come in and make huge impacts, uh, when you think of a guy like Bowser who was their number one draft pick who did not get much playing time this year. Who do you blame? Do you, do we look at Dean Pease and say he didn't get this guy ready, or do we look at Ozzie Newsom and he doesn't have what it takes anymore to draft high-level players? Well, you at least have three groups that you could consider. You got those two. So Ozzie might have drafted the wrong guy. Right. I don't think that's the case in Bowser. I think Bowser has a lot of promise. Bowser is just in a very crowded position group to to get snaps with with Judon and Suggs and. And uh, Zadarius Smith, all wanting snaps at outside linebacker, you know, it's it's hard to find spot spot for Bowser. He only played one snap in this last game, right? And then the the other the other thing I'd say is that you really got to consider what's the position coach's responsibility and development here. You know, we give a lot of credit to Dallas Sandris and his ability to work with the offensive line and make more out of less there, but he's a position group coach. And whether there's an outside linebackers coach who, who should be doing more, that's Martindale, I guess, is the outside linebacker coach. Uh, you know, you, you got to really look at who's the, who's the guy who should, uh, should be doing that. But anyway, there's multiple levels. In, in Bowser's specific case, I think it's a case of it's a crowded position and a very talented position uh, on the Ravens. But, but I want to get back to this hire for just a minute because Bishotti did a great thing in 2008 when they hired Harbaugh. He gave the PSL owners a 
I think it might have been as much as eight pages devoted in one of these off-season magazines to how did they do the hiring process for John Harbaugh. Right. It's one of the best things they ever did. And it went through all of these things about how they broke down the initial candidates, made their list, how they do the interviews. You know, one guy was responsible for picking up the guy at the airport, and he would start the interview process in the car. And then they would, you know, they would go through and they would do additional interviews, right. and then they made decisions and had meetings and did that. And and they had it down to Jason Garrett and John Harbaugh. Well, that process obviously is very successful will, at identifying great candidates. Yeah, and I, I, I know Steve Bashotti. I've had many conversations with him. That process doesn't surprise me. That's the type of guy he is. The problem is when you're hiring a defensive coach and a, and a offensive or defensive and offensive coordinators, you are trusting the head coach to hi- make those hires. And, and that's where I don't think you can agree with that. I think this has to be an organizational decision, and I want Bishotti's stamp on this hiring process. Normally, you might say this is too low in the organization to make that judgment. No, it's not. It, it really is not. And what you really need to make sure is that in any organization that your top people, you don't ever put them in a position where they, they might even fall victim to nepotism would be one possibility, just favoritism within the organization or not considering all the alternatives on a level playing field. Bishotti needs to create the blueprint from his own background for how this gets done. But I, I'd say I want all of the following. I want Harbaugh not to have a sole vote or even veto, right. veto power on this hire. I want this to be an organizational decision where you know it's a maybe an even vote kind of kind of person. But the only person I want to truly have the veto power on this would be Bashadi himself. I'm, and, I'm, I'm, and I agree. And I think that's how John Harbaugh keeps his job. If he doesn't want. To, if if they don't want to knock him out this offseason and say, hey, your coordinators didn't work out, then the way you do it is you get rid of the coordinators and you say, I'm, I'm helping you get the coordinators. Right. Yeah, it's, it is. I can understand how Harbaugh would be unhappy about losing authority in that situation. I've already heard stories about Harbaugh and his lost authority with individual players in terms of going to Newsom about it. And, and that it's, uh, we actually heard this in a State of the Ravens thing. So Kevin Byrne is the one who told the story. But he recounted with both Harbaugh and Newsom there that he would often hear Harbaugh as a rookie coach in 2008, it was after the 2008 right. season, would go into Newsom's office and complain about some particular player. And, and, and Newsom would sit there calmly and listen to him and then respond, well, you know, we paid this guy, you know, $14 million more, more than you. three years. <laughs> we, can't, we can't get rid of him. Right. You know, so, and no, then he would... Yeah, and we heard that with Harbaugh and especially veterans with Ed Reed and uh, 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 Pollard, guys that, that clashed heads with, with Harbaugh. Sure. So, yeah, he, we, we know he's got an ego. Right, and, and ego, you know, a desire to run things. I, I'm, I'm okay with that. I mean, you should want to run things if you're the boss. Yeah, but, but successful it, but it, head coaches have egos. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think successful players have egos too, and I'm fine with that. But I just go through the other things I want from this hiring process because there's a list here. But mm-hmm. I want it's fine to have one internal candidate. It's fine to have more than one internal candidate. But you have to have several external candidates, and I would put that as a minimum on this. This is the marquee coordinator position in the entire NFL. There's none better. Maybe to be offensive coordinator for the Patriots is a better place to be, but to be to be defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens with the way they invest and they draft for the defense with the young talent they currently have in place, there is no better spot in the entire NFL to land as a coordinator than that spot. And I can't imagine any other group 
you 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 basically normally when you're when you're a coordinator you come in and a guy has just messed things up and you're getting the keys to a Yugo. You're literally getting the keys to a Ferrari if you get the Ravens defense. It may have a couple of engine things that need to be worked on, but it's a Ferrari. And it's an organization that treats the defense very well. So I there's no reason why every single coordinator out there who's very good or every single position coach whether it's in the NFL or at the college level couldn't be considered for this role and 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 you take the very best one available and if that's in the organization fantastic if it's not fantastic also but just make sure you avail yourself of all potential options right one more thing i'm going to say is okay. there's going to be a lot of talk about former head coaches who've had success and many of them in the Reagan's organization right. Marvin Lewis back. Chuck Pagano yeah, there you go. Jack Del Rio, sure. uh, Nolan, and uh, Rex Ryan, we didn't even mention, I don't think. So, I mean, yeah, they're all five, out there. There's five guys right now who are available, and I think any of them could probably still coach football and, and, and be good coaching the defense. There is no reason not to get one of them, and some of them would add a stability value potentially because a lot of them will not return to head coaching. Like I don't think Rex Ryan is going to get another head coaching opportunity. Yeah, That's but, just my but, opinion. But there's no way Rex Ryan and John Harbaugh are getting along. I, you know, I hear that, but I, I think it's a matter of they did get along for one year. Right. They had a great year. Went to the AFC Championship. Let's say they so, hated right. each other. Is that terrible? <laughs> right. So you're saying, yeah, if you need each other, you, you find ways to get along. Yeah, you find ways to get along, and and it's just it needs to be very clear, clearly spelled out for Ryan that he's not getting a head coaching opportunity here, and you know we want to we want to hire a guy for some stability. Ryan, you know they're going to pay him well, so it might be that he would leave and go get a, a DC gig somewhere else. But more likely, you know he whoever you hire among old coaches that are that are not going to get another head coaching job are guys who you could get some stability value out of. You right. could get them for four or five years. Now, I'm not going to – I don't want them, the Ravens, to put a zero value on that, but I also don't want them to put a very high value on that because that's how you get away from ever getting that revolutionary young coordinator who gets you started in the direction. Yeah, maybe he goes and he's a coach somewhere else at, at the head coaching level from two years from now, but he gets your organization rebuilt, gets the defensive structure re-put in place, gets a new defense put in. And, and the new guy that, that is his heir apparent within the organization, you have a succession plan, he takes over and the defense is largely the same. I just I, I would love for the Ravens to hire a great coach for two years who then, then lose to a head coaching opportunity. Right, right. And the, the problem with those stability guys who aren't going to get head coaching anymore is that TV money is really nice too. And those guys yeah, are also now being uh, wooed not only by other football teams but by sports networks. Yeah, and Gruden's coming out of the broadcast booth to go back to the Raiders, apparently. Yeah, that's so the rumor. We've, we've got that. So, uh, you know, I don't think any of these other guys have such a lucrative opportunity. Lewis is the only guy I've really heard about going into the front office and doing something. Right. And it doesn't seem like it'd be too much of a stretch for Nolan either. But, but for Ryan and for Pagano and maybe for Del Rio, I really have never heard that right. attached to their those, name. Those are yet, so. field guys. Yeah, field guys. Um. Yeah. All right. Well, we went deep into that, and when we're gonna, I'm really excited for when we get to have that show to say, "Hey, here's the guy that that the Ravens brought in. Uh, here's what we think. Here's what it looks like that the process was to get the guy." Um, and that'll be fun. Another show that we're gonna have to do this off season is the draft. Before or after the draft, we're gonna have to cover this and and see what the Ravens do if they continue to focus only on defense on the draft. Um, or if they go and try again with a wide receiver. 
I, I do think that they're gonna they're gonna spend most of their picks on offense in this coming year. They, they need better. a tight end. Yes, and I I think if I had to really look at it defensively, it really looks like they only need two picks: an inside linebacker and a safety that are absolutely required. Now that doesn't mean you don't continue to regenerate and, and get a a sixth round corner or a seventh round corner that you think is a developmental guy that has value. It doesn't mean you don't do that, but it, I think the, the required picks are a safety and inside linebacker. And although it's probably a, a heresy to think so about what they use the first round pick on. Safety is a position where if you don't spend a first-round pick on it, you probably will not get the kind of playmaker they want for the back end. And the Ravens suffered a lot having only one real back-end playmaker this year. And it, it took them time to finally get that set up, but, but to only have one for, for, the, uh, for the year did hurt the team. So that's something. All right, and then also this offseason we will have uh, at least one show, if not multiple, leading into camp and during camp and how that's going. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So we'll look at the roster, see who they've assembled. If we don't have a particular show on some players, we can talk about some of the some of the acquisitions that didn't quite meet the standard to, of, of having their own show to still talk about how do they fit into this defense or offense. And I think that'll be a lot of fun. And Josh, I look forward to this. Had a great year doing this with you this year. And uh, maybe we should save this for, for after the mailbag, but it's just been, it's been constantly fun. And, and uh, what Josh does... To put this show together, you guys cannot even imagine in terms of technically how he has to set this up and and do the recordings and then get them out on on uh, Audio Boom and and on Russell Street Report and other places. So it's uh, it's a big job, and and I appreciate what you Thank do you. for the show. Thank you. And yeah, and the whole reason we're laying out this off season is to make sure you don't unsubscribe, stay subscribed. You'll get new shows periodically. I mean, you're going to get a new one in in two three days when we talk about the offense, and then more next week. So make sure, even though the Ravens fell apart. Don't take out that anger on the Ravens by deleting the film study podcast. <laughs> we're, we're still there for you. We'll be there for you next year. Um, mailbag is – we're not going to get to the mailbag today because there's, there's so much stuff in there that's got to be sorted out. There's one question, though, about yesterday that I just want to bring up. Mm-hmm. James Harrison got more sacks than the Ravens yesterday. Were you surprised by that? Did James Harrison have two sacks? He got, he got two sacks again, playing against the Jets yesterday. That's <laughs> yeah, terrible. No, I did not hear. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, we get wrapped up in the game, and then we come home, and we do whatever. I, I've got no excuse for not knowing that James Harrison had two sacks yesterday, but uh, but it was what it was. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so just wanted to point that out to you before we get out of here. Um, uh, is your defensive evaluation up on Russell Street right now? It is. It's up there, so you can you can read it, go to Game Pass, work through that. Follow me on Twitter, at Film Study Ravens. We always, every show, we want to make sure you, you give Josh's, our sister show, a, a check as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, Raven season is over. Make sure you listen into Section 336 as well as we go on, which is weekly, nonstop, year-round. And now it's, uh, I guess it's going to be baseball season for Section 336. And uh, we'll see if the Orioles do something. We'll see what happens first. The Ravens sign a defensive coordinator or the Orioles uh, sign a pitcher. <laughs> so that's section 336 you can go and check that well, out why would they need it they've got a good perfectly good four-man rotation already if you take the top two pitchers in triple a right um yeah and the ravens don't need wide receivers <laughs> yeah okay so all right ken uh have a good night we will talk in a few days to break down the offense all right and we apologize for not getting all the mailbag questions this time we make sure we will promise that we'll get to all of them on the next show yeah uh Mailbags just flooded, so I, I don't even know how to start reading through between comments and questions and sorting it out. 
we, we can have a special so, show on the mailbag if it's required. Joshua. We'll get to every one of these mailbag questions. All right. All right. Have a good night. Take it easy. Bye. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's List of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.